Last week we began a series called Miracles, and we talked about the fact that when God does something only He can do, when we look at, back at it and say, God did it, uh, that it really is a definition of a miracle. So today we continue that series, and I want to begin by thinking about some of the questions that we ask each other sometimes. Many times the questions that you and I ask one another are pretty insignificant. Uh, there are questions like, how are you doing today, or what's for lunch, or how did you, your day go at work? Those are questions, they don't require a lot of thought, they don't require a lot of participation, they're just part of routine conversation. And then there are questions that have a lot of history behind them. Questions that engage our minds, questions that move our emotions. Men, when you ask your wife to marry you, when you said, will you marry me? That was a question that had a lot of history behind it. God once asked a man named Abram a really big question. And it was a question that had a lot of history behind it. Here's what God said. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That was not a small question. That was not an insignificant question. That was a question that had a lot of history behind it. Open your Bibles to Genesis 12 and we'll begin to look at that story and why God asked that question. There was a man named Abram and he had been asked to leave some things that meant a lot to him. Genesis 12, when we begin to read about this man named Abram, he is at this point 75 years old. And God asked him to leave some things that were very important to him. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. Imagine how that would be for God to ask you, Right now, at whatever age you are, leave the United States, leave your family, leave your job, leave your home, and go to the land that I will show you. God not only asked him to, to leave, though, God also made him a promise. God said, if you leave all of that and follow me, here's what I'm going to do. Verse 2, I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will... Make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then it says in verse 4, this intriguing verse, verse 4, it says this. So Abram left, as the Lord told him. So Abram left. Seventy-five years old. God said, leave it all. And, and the Bible says simply, so Abram left. Have you ever had a time where you just really stepped out in faith like that? A time where you were, you were striving to follow the will of God in your life and you took a big step of faith. That's what Abram did. It was a huge step of faith to leave all that behind. But not only was it a step of faith, it was also a step of obedience. You see, stepping out in faith is not just about taking a risk. It's always also about obeying the Lord. And if you look at verse 4, that's exactly what the verse says. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. This was not just a step of faith. It was not just taking a risk. It was a step of obedience. See, anytime you walk by faith and you walk in obedience, 
Those are big steps that you take and you assume, don't you, that if you take those big steps of faith and those big steps of obedience, that everything's going to fall in place and everything's going to work well and everything's going to go good. That's not what Abraham experienced. Sometime later, he found himself struggling because he still didn't have any children. God had promised, if you leave it all, then I'm going to bless you and give you a family and through your family bless the nations. But Abraham, when we read about him, he's still struggling now because of God's unfulfilled promise. Go over to chapter 15, I'll show you this. We're just going to work our way through a few chapters in Genesis. Chapter 15, as we follow the story of Abram. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. Translation, I'm going to take care of you. Don't be afraid. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? For the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me, and Abram said, You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Translation, you know what he was saying? Abram was saying, this is not what you told me when I left Mesopotamia. When you told me to leave, you told me you'd give me a family. And I still don't have any children. And so we pick up the story in verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. It's interesting what God did. He said, okay, I know you're upset. Here's what I want you to do. Let's go outside. Of course, God's already outside. He's, come on out here. Look up in the sky. Have you ever tried to count the stars? I've done that a few times, just standing there, just in amazement and awe, and just looking up, trying to count how many stars. I did a little bit of research, and I found out that basically there are around 5,000 stars that are visible to the naked eye on a clear night. That doesn't mean you can see all 5,000 of them, because half of them are on the other side of the world. But there are roughly around 5,000 stars that you can see on any given night. But the ones that you can see just represent the billions that you can't see. In fact, the astrologers estimate, nobody knows for sure, but they estimate that there are over 400 billion stars just in our galaxy, and our galaxy is only one of millions of galaxies. So God said, here, here's what I want you to do. Come outside. Come here, come here. Come here. Go outside. Look up. Start counting. I'm going to bless you with that kind of blessing. Blessing. Now, here's why this is important. Psalm 147, verse 4, says, He determines the number of stars. God determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. That God knows how many stars there are. We estimate 400 billion just in our own Milky Way galaxy. God estim or we estimate 400 billion. God knows exactly how many there are. There are. And not, not only that, He has called them each by name. He's got every one of them named. So I want you to think about this. What big problem are you facing right now that's too hard for him? Maybe you need to go outside one night and just stand and turn your, your head towards heaven and, and just look at the vastness and the greatness of the heavens and the stars and recognize there is no big problem with God. God's not overwhelmed by anything. 
Abram looked up into that night sky, and the Bible says this, Abram believed the Lord. Now, he's still childless, but he still believes that God is faithful. And so he believed the Lord. He had what we might call a God encounter that night. Everybody look up here for me, I'm going to tell you something. When you have those God encounters, those are marvelous, amazing times. But, it doesn't mean there's still not going to be some days of struggle ahead. Because when we continue to look at the story, chapter 16 opens up with these words. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. You may not realize, but those words were written about, or, or signify a gap of about 10 years. From the time he had that God moment outside looking up at the stars, and God said, I'm going to bless you like you see the number of stars here. About 10 years later, chapter 16 opens with these words, Abram's wife, Sarah, had borne him no children. They've been waiting on 10 years for God to do a miracle. Waiting for 10 years for God to do what he said he was going to do. And so after waiting for 10 years and nothing happening, after waiting for 10 years and they're still childless, Sarah and Sarai and Abram decided to take matters into their own hands. Chapter 16, verse 1, the second part of the verse. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar, so she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I could build a family through her. God hasn't. Notice this phrase, perhaps I can. Perhaps I can build a family through her. God hasn't answered the prayer. God hasn't given us any children. Perhaps I can do it through Hagar. So Abram agreed to what Sarai said. And so after Abram had been living in Canaan for ten years, parentheses, waiting on God and waiting on the miracle, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife, and he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Hagar was a surrogate mother, and she had a son named Ishmael. And so here's the situation. They now have a son, but it's not the son of the promise. And they wait, watch this, they wait 14 more years. They still don't have a son. Sarai and Abraham are still waiting for God to do a miracle 14 years after this event. Now it's been a total of 24 years from the time that they left Mesopotamia, they left in obedience, they left uh, believing God, that God had promised a child, and through that child and through that family, He had blessed the nations. They left, and it was 24 years ago when God said He'd perform that for them. And still they don't have any children. Now we come to chapter 17. Walk with me quickly through this text. Chapter 17, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. To which Abraham probably thought, yeah, right. I've been waiting 24 years for you to increase my numbers. I'd like to start with one. 24 years. I've got, you've not given me what you've promised. And so for God to kind of make his case, God to kind of underline at this point, verse 5, God decides to change the name of Abram. No longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. There's some information here in these names. Abram means exalted father. You can be an exalted father by just being the father of one child. 
But God says, you're no longer just going to be Abram. I'm trying to underline to you that I'm, a, I'm doing something big in your life. So I'm going to change your name to Abraham, father of many. And the implication is not just father of many children, but father of many nations. Now, if you are Abraham, how are you dealing with this at this point? 24 years. If I'm Abraham, I'm starting to think, this whole thing is starting to sound ridiculous. And in fact, when I read chapter 17, verses 15 through 17, God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations and kings of peoples will come from her. And watch this, verse 17. And Abraham Abraham fell face down and he laughed. And he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old and will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? The possibility of God doing this miracle at this stage in their life was literally laughable. So then we come to chapter 18. Chapter 18, the Lord appeared to Abraham and to Sarah again, and this time told them, get ready. This time next year, you're going to be parents. They've been waiting 24 years for this news. And here's what happens. Verse 10, chapter 18, verse 10. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, like any good wife would do. Right? Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him, and Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed, and this time it's not Abraham laughing, now it's Sarah laughing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? They've been waiting 25 years for this, and when God says, listen, this time next year, I'm going to come back, and you're going to have a son in your arms, that was so unlikely. She knew, she knew this was physically impossible, which brings us to the question that has some history behind it. Remember the question? The question is this, is anything too hard for the Lord? Perhaps there's some history behind what you are struggling with too. Maybe you have a wayward son or daughter and for years you have held out hope that they would come back to the Lord and you have prayed and prayed and waited and waited and you are still waiting and you have to struggle with this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Perhaps you have an unbelieving husband unbelieving wife or unbelieving mom or dad and and you have prayed in great faith and at one time you were confident they would be saved but now after years of praying and waiting and hoping your confidence has melted into disbelief because their heart seems harder than ever and you really do have to struggle with this question is anything too hard for the Lord maybe it's a sickness or personal problem that you feel you've got no control over. And there are days of pain and there are days of fear and there is plenty of sorrow and lots of questions. And you still pray and you try to pray in faith, but many times your faith gives way to frustration. What once you were sure of now is a huge question mark in your soul. And you have to wrestle with that question, is anything too hard for the Lord? 
From time to time, we're all confronted with the question that Sarah was confronted with. And there's something about this question. Look at it again. Is anything too hard for the Lord? There's something about that question that is both comforting and disturbing. It's comforting because we know the answer to that question is supposed to be no. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. We know the answer to that question is supposed to be no. Uh, God has all power. Nothing is beyond His ability. No one is beyond His reach. No situation is too hard for God. That brings us great relief and comfort. We know the answer is no. He's God. He can do anything. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. And it's comforting sometimes when we dwell on that. But if we're honest, sometimes that question is also disturbing. Because it forces me to ask if I really believe it. And if I do, then why is praying so hard? Or if I do, why is my faith so weak? Or if nothing is too hard for the Lord, why am I still waiting for my miracle? Someone once said that experience is a good teacher, but it's a hard one. You get the test first and the lesson afterwards. That's pretty much the experience of Abraham. He learned a valuable lesson, but listen to me, it took him 25 years to learn it. At the age of 100, with a newborn baby in his arms, Abraham finally learned nothing is too hard for the Lord. At the age of 100, an old man looked into the face of a newborn son and realized God really is the God of miracles. But we have to pause now and say, but what does that mean for us? What does that mean for our families and for our lives? How do we apply that situation to our lives? And I'm going to give you four quick lessons, four ways to apply this story for you and I. And here's the first one. Number one, every miracle begins with a problem. Read through your Bible from cover to cover, and you'll find that every miracle in the Bible started out as a problem. Every one of them. Every miracle in the Bible started out as a problem. And it was a problem for which there was no human solution. Thus the need for a miracle. Because there's no human solution. And there are times when our problems are so great that we have to wrestle with that question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's ironic that Abraham and Sarah both laughed when God said, this is what I'm going to do for you. Because that was the the one thing they most wanted. And God was the only one who could do it. But they'd grown tired of waiting. They'd given up on God to some extent. They'd taken a great step of faith and they'd left everything. And then they waited for 25 years and it felt like God let them down. My guess some of you know what that feels like. But please remember this. Your problem is never a problem for God. Can I say that to you one more time? Your problem is never a problem for God. That question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Do not give in to the doubt and the fear that tells you that your situation is impossible or that that person will never change or it's just too late for this to happen. Remind yourself that every miracle began as a problem. Lesson number two is this. Waiting is sometimes part of the miracle. You see, God's always doing something greater than just the miracle itself. He's always up to something bigger than just the miracle itself. We get focused on the miracle because that's what we need. 
But God is focused on shaping our lives for His purposes. Abraham was focused on wanting a son. That was the focus of his life. That was the focus of his prayers. That was the focus of his faith. Abraham was focused on wanting a son. God was focused on developing a father for the nations. God was focused on developing a man of faith through whom he could bless the world. See, God's always up to something bigger than just the miracle. So keep holding on to the Lord and keep believing that His answers are worth waiting for. Maybe you've been praying for a Christian mate and nothing's happened. Maybe you've been praying for your child and nothing's happened. Maybe you've been praying for your spouse to come back to God and nothing's happened. Maybe you've been praying for healing and nothing's happened. Waiting. Sometimes part of the miracle. Isaiah 64.4 says it this way. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. Which brings us to the third point of application. That is, God has a plan. He really does have a plan. Maybe it would help you to to understand that God has a plan in your life. God has a plan for your family. God has a plan for your situation. Every time God spoke to Abraham in the story, start in Genesis 12 and go all the way through Genesis 18, uh, every time God spoke, He told Abraham what His plan was. And, and in chapter 17, He was very specific. He said, this time next year, here's a date for the plan. This time next year, we're going to, you're going to have a son. God had a plan. He always knows what He's going to do, and He always knows when He's going to do it. Would you agree with me there's no panic in heaven? Would you agree with me that there are no emergencies in heaven? You might have an only God problem right now. And what I mean by that is, it's a problem for which you said only God could fix this. Only God could change this. Only God could meet this need. And you're right. There are times when only God can do it. But I'm going to tell you something. God knows how. And God has a plan. Number four, this is an important point. Number four, God wants us to focus on Him rather than on others. It's almost funny when you read chapter 18. I'm not trying to be crude, but when you read chapter 18 and you get to verses 11 and 12, Abraham and Sarah were having a problem believing what God said simply because they looked at one another and thought, that ain't possible. Look at the text. Verse 11 and 12. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? They looked at one another. They were focused on one another. They were focused on their own bodies, and then they were focused on their mate. It's like, No, that's not going to happen. That's not possible. As if God is restricted by by our human ability. God is not dependent on your human ability. You can't explain the supernatural with natural causes. Miracles by their very nature cannot be explained naturally. Who have you been relying on lately? That's the question. Who have you been relying on lately? Are you focusing vertically on Him or horizontally on others? 
One of the greatest devotional writers in recent years said this, the main thing God asks for is our attention. When our attention is on ourselves or our attention is on others, our faith falters. When our attention is on God, then we can say this, look at the text, look at the screen rather. If our faith is strong, here's what we can say. God has not forgotten His promise. And He hasn't lost His power. I want you to leave here today with that awareness, with that realization. God has not forgotten His promise. God has not lost His power. Abraham and Sarah are a reminder that the problem was never God. The problem was them. I know 25 years is a long time to wait. But God did exceedingly, abundantly, above all they could ever ask or imagine. It just took 25 years to get there. I know some of you are waiting for your miracle, that miracle in your home, that miracle in your family, that miracle for, at your job, that miracle, that health miracle, that financial miracle, and it's like, I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of, and I, I get that, I understand that. Please hear this. What you might need to do, literally, is go outside tonight. It, literally, do what Abraham did at God's instruction. What you might need to do is go outside tonight, turn your head toward the stars, and just stand there by yourself in the dark and look at the huge sky. And then ask this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What you'll find is this. Listen, listen. What you'll find is this. When you go outside and you stand out in the darkness and you put your eyes towards the heaven, what you'll find is the answer is hanging over your head. The greatness of God is hanging over your head. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let me pray with you. Father, would you remind us all that you have not forgotten your promise and you have not lost your power. I want to pray for those dear brothers and sisters who are trying to walk by faith and they have taken a step of obedience and now they're waiting and now they're wondering and now life is hard. I pray that even though their faith may falter, I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that they would focus on you rather than on others or even on themselves. Turn our eyes towards heaven. Remind us that the God who calls every star by name, He has no big problems. There is nothing too great for Him. And we worship you and we praise you and we thank you that you are Lord and you are God and there is no other. Strengthen our faith as we continue to walk with you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.